So we are carrying on in our Corinthians uh, series this morning, and uh, we're looking at chapter 7. So that's what, we've been, what I've been working through over the last sort of week or two. Uh, but as I was thinking about the series, I was, I was driving to work uh, the other day, and I always drive to work uh, the same way. But this day I was driving to work, and I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to, to drive a different way. So I thought, okay, I'll take a left here instead. And I know this other way that I, you know, that I could drive. And it can be faster if you get all of the green lights from the extra five you know, sets of traffic lights. So it can be faster, but it's a bit of a gamble. So uh, I felt the Holy Spirit say, go this way. So I thought, I'll, I'll go this way. And I thought to myself, you know, today's, today's going to be my lucky day. I'm going to get all the green lights. I'm going to get to work 10 minutes early. I'm going to be on top of my to-do list. Maybe I have a chuck in a little, you know, divine appointment at some stage throughout the morning, and uh, it's going to be a great day. So, uh, uh, you know, pull over, jump on the motorway, and uh, I could say five extra sets of traffic lights, and then one light after another, every single one, I hit every single red light uh, along the way. Adds like 10 minutes to my commute, and I'm like, what's this all about, you know? Uh, but, you know... God, as he does, lovingly by his spirit, teaches us things. And I'm sitting there thinking about my preach and about other things as well. And uh, he, he, he reminded me of a few things which I'll share with you. But if, if, you, if you're not familiar with driving to the hut, it, it, all the traffic lights are, are one of the joys of driving in and out uh, of the hut valley, aren't they? And it's actually one of the main differences driving to Potidur. It's the same amount of lanes, you know, same capacity of road, same distance, but you get all these traffic lights, and, and they can be quite frustrating. They, they stop the flow of traffic. Uh, they, they cause delays at times, don't they? And the government is aware of this, and they're actually improving the whole motorway to the hut. You would have noticed one set at a time, the traffic lights are disappearing, and uh, you know these great big on-ramps and off-ramps as they work out sort of better ways to, to deal with the flow of traffic. So I'm sitting there in my car, and... Uh, I felt God not sort of highlight traffic problems to me, as if I should sort of, you know, write into the paper and complain about the traffic lights. But that he was highlighting something in my life and in our lives that can hinder the flow of what God's doing in our lives, hinder God's purposes uh, in our life. And he raises uh, to me these, this, this, this certain something, and the certain something can be like a red light that sort of stops the flow. And uh, this certain something is unhealthy attitudes towards other people. Unhealthy attitudes towards other people. And so this morning uh, is going to be kind of like a bit of a, a health check. Uh, how's your attitudes this morning? All right. Sometimes a health check isn't always the most pleasant thing. I'm not at that sort of age where... You know, some of the older men uh, might talk about some of their health checks and some of the unpleasant things that happen there. But, <laughs> but some, sometimes health checks aren't, aren't a pleasant thing, but, uh, but are necessary for our, for our health, aren't they? So that's what this morning uh, will be like. And a lot of the Corinthians series has actually been a bit like that, hasn't it? A bit of a health check. How's, how's, you know, how's, uh, how's honour going in your life? How is... Uh, how's you know, the pursuit of holiness going in life, those sorts of things. So this morning is going to be a health check on our attitudes. When it comes to our attitudes, um, it's important to understand that God has made us responsible and powerful individuals. All right? We have the ability in our life 
to foster and nurture either healthy, healthy attitudes uh, that encourage God's purposes in our life or unhealthy attitudes. I was listening to uh, a preach recently and a guy, he walks into a counselling session and he says, oh, you know, my marriage is falling apart, my business is failing, this is going wrong, that's going wrong. And the counsellor looks at him and says, okay, so what's the problem? And he goes, well, my marriage is failing, my business is going wrong, and, you know, I'm losing money. And the counsellor looks at him and goes, you know, what's the problem? And, and this guy sort of clicks, all of a sudden he realises that the answer isn't, you know, all these peripheral issues and people. The answer was actually he needed to take a good look at what he was responsible for and, and what he was doing in his life and how that God had made him a responsible and powerful individual to make decisions. And the counsellor just looks at him and goes, hey, look, happiness is an inside job, he says. And with that, he signs a cheque and walks out the door, you know. And, and so we, we have the ability, we have the power as, as, as God's image bearers to, to, to nurture healthy attitudes in our life. It's, it's interesting and insightful of, of how big of an impact a healthy or an unhealthy attitude can have uh, in our life. And I was thinking about this, I thought, well, why is that the case? And I'm sure at least one reason is that God, um, God works his purposes out through people. He, works, he, works, he, he does things through people, doesn't he? Only two weeks ago, uh, we learned that we are Christ's ambassadors as if God was making his appeal through us. God entrusts the message of the gospel through people. How much more is he going to entrust other purposes that are going to work out in your life through people around you? And so Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, well, I felt so comforted by God through Titus. You know, I felt so, I felt so blessed and comforted through the coming of Titus. So there's God using Titus to bless uh, Paul and bring about his purposes in his life. Or it might be through your employers. You know, we all want to be blessed materially. We want to be able to provide for our family. We want to learn, you know, how to lead well or be disciplined or, you know, we want to do this for our family, do that. A lot of time that blessing can come through our employer blessing us with a good job, with some lessons, with some training. Uh, and, and so that's another example of how God uses people uh, to bless us. So if we have an unhealthy posture and attitude towards people, we can be blocking the very conduit through which God wants to work out something in our lives, whether it be in our families or our workplaces. But it gets even more serious for believers because Jesus said in Luke 10, anyone who accepts you accepts me, and anyone who rejects you rejects me. Anyone who rejects me is rejecting the Father who sent me. And so it's more than just about blocking a conjure. It's, it's, it's kind of like Jesus is so intimately uh, connected with his people. You know, we are his, his body. That my posture towards people, my attitude towards people, is linked to my posture and attitude towards God. Because I'm not just looking at, you know, uh, you know Julian over there. I'm not just looking at, you know, someone over there. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the body of Christ Himself. And so my attitude towards people is very important. So it's a significant thing. Attitudes. So it's all about attitudes this morning. How's your, how's your attitude? I've been asking myself a lot, how's my attitude? If you look at the dictionary <coughs> definition of attitude, it's 
a settled way of thinking or feeling about something, or this morning, about someone. A settled way of thinking or feeling. Another definition I found was a mental posture. It's a posturing. How, you know, uh, how are you posturing yourself uh, towards another person? When we leave each, day, you know, each Sunday morning, we go out the back of the, the, you know, the hall there, and we walk down, and Lucy has always ran ahead uh, of us, as she does, she runs ahead, and there's that, those glass sliding doors, and there's that big piece of artwork, call it what you want, you know, like a big sort of shell thing. And there's Lucy, and she always jumps on top of it, and she does a posture, you know, she poses there, and she pretends to be the artwork, you know, and then she goes, ah, surprise, it's actually me. And so I've been joining in lately, and I you know, sort of go like this, and uh, like that. And, and so we, we have a physical posture, but uh, our attitude is like our mental posture towards people. You can go into a workplace situation, and... And, and you can just pick up on people's attitudes and postures, can't you? It's, it's just like a stance towards you or against you, perhaps. And this, this can be a complex thing, uh, influenced by the way we think or the way we feel. Now, the reason I want to focus on attitudes this morning is, like I say, we've been working through uh, Second Corinthians, and we're in chapter 7. And I read chapter 7, and... I can't help but be amazed at Paul's attitude and posture towards the Corinthian church. It's actually quite amazing. And in this chapter, I see a few simple ways that, uh, a few simple sort of uh, ways that, that Paul is demonstrating that we can uh, learn and, and grow and work on our attitudes towards people. So that's what I want to work at this morning. There's, there's Paul there. So a few things I can see in this chapter that, that we want to sort of aim towards this morning, time uh, sort of willing, is first of all I want to look at um, establishing healthy attitudes that aren't based on our emotions in this situation and that situation, but based on truth, based on truth about what God says about a person and then determining our posture on that. The other thing I want to look at this morning that Paul demonstrates in this chapter, is being willing to change the way that we think. It's another word for repentance, isn't it? Being, being, being ready to implant new truths in your life and, and repent and get rid of uh, old truths or non-truths, you might say. And then lastly, we need to look at that being the case when real life happens, how do we deal with confrontation uh, in a healthy way, uh, both in this body and uh, outside those doors in, in your life as well. How do we, how we, how do we deal with confrontation uh, whilst keeping sort of a loving attitude and posture towards people? So that's, uh, we'll start with this one here, establishing healthy attitudes based on truth. Like I said earlier, in chapter 7, I'm amazed at Paul's attitude and posture towards the Corinthian uh, church. You, you read it, and you read things like this here. Make a place for us in your hearts. We haven't mistreated or hurt anyone. We haven't cheated anyone. I'm not saying this to be hard on you, but as I have said before, you will always be in our thoughts, whether we live or die. I trust you completely. I am always proud of you, and I am greatly encouraged. In all my trouble, I am still very happy. That sounds like someone who has an amazing attitude towards the Corinthian church. But when you understand the history between Paul and the Corinthians, that is an amazing <coughs> attitude for him to have. It's actually 
nothing short of a miracle, really. You see, Paul had started the church. He, he, he established a church on a missionary journey. And over about seven-odd years before this letter was written, he's just pouring out so much into this church, so much resources. He's praying for them. He's visiting them himself. He's sending other people to visit them. He's robbing other churches of money so that he can support this church free of charge. It's all just giving, giving, giving. And in reply, they turn around and they reject him, they criticize him, they even label him as devious. And even despite all this input, they themselves are still a real mess. There's moral issues, there's arguments, there's factions. You can imagine Paul just, you know, how did he not just throw his hands up in the air and goes, you know, and, and foster an unhealthy attitude towards them. He probably had every good reason to. But there's something about this attitude. How did he get to that point where he could say, I am proud of you. I love you guys. You know, there's so much good stuff happening amongst you. See, the Corinthians, they were not like Paul. Their attitudes were like a roller coaster. Every situation, uh, you know, that arose, the attitude towards Paul would shift and change. So at the start, no doubt, they had a great attitude towards him. And then over time, they get sort of, oh, not so much, and they start criticizing him. And then, and then he sends a letter, and, you know, and, and they sort of they perk up a bit, and they start having a better attitude. And then it just goes, it's like a teenage drama, isn't it? It's up, down, up, down. They are literally like a roller coaster. Their, their attitudes towards Paul are like a roller coaster. But then you enter Paul. Paul's attitude towards the Corinthians was not like a roller coaster. It was like a locomotive. You know, just like steady and constant no matter what. Imagine like a sacred cow like jumps on the road or a, a tree falls over or something like that. Do you think this thing would have swayed Paul's posture towards the Corinthians? You know, it just keeps going, doesn't it? He was constant and steady in his attitude and posture towards them. I want to learn to be a bit more like Paul and a little bit less like the Corinthians. And that's why I just, yeah, and that's why I want to just keep learning this stuff uh, and keep applying it to my life. How is this the case? How did he stay steady and constant? Well, I believe it's because he based his attitudes and posture on truth. In, the, in verse 12 of chapter 7, he says, Although we were encouraged, we felt even better when we saw how happy Titus was because you had shown that he had nothing to worry about. We had told him, we had told him how much we thought of you and you did not disappoint us. Just as, if, just as we have always told you the truth, so everything we told him about you has also proved to be true. Just as we have always told you the truth. Paul is bombarding the Corinthians with truth about who they are. You read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You guys are ambassadors. You're loved by Christ. He's constantly, he's convinced in his mind about who they are, and he's just reminding them about that, isn't he? So it was all based on the truth of their identity and, and who they were. <clears throat> uh, so, we're through, so everything we told, and also he goes on to say, so everything we told him about you has also proved to be true. So there's this, the Corinthian church, and everything's just up in the air. Everything's just a big drama. And Paul's saying to Titus, no, these guys are not 
a basket case, you know. These guys are good people. They are loved by Christ. The Holy Spirit is doing something amazing in them. You know, they are saints. They are born again. They are made holy. They're spotless and blameless. And you can just hear him boasting to, the, to Titus, these are good people. And then his boast of them proves true. It's because his attitude, his posture towards them is based on truth. And yeah, he had emotions. We all have emotions. We see that in this letter. He's a passionate, emotional guy. But he didn't let those emotions change his posture and turn, you know, turn his attitude into a bit of a roller coaster. So you read First, uh, first Corinthians, right at the outset of a letter that's, you know, that's addressing some pretty serious issues in that church. And he says, what? Well, I'm writing to God's church. You're called by God. You're holy. He's made you holy. You're in Christ. Bang, 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 bang. This is the truth of who you are. This is my posture towards you. I thank God for you. Now let's sort some of these situations. Let's sort some of these issues out. So Paul had fixed thoughts based on truth, and therefore he had a fixed attitude and posture uh, towards the Corinthians. And so if we want to remove some of the you know, red lights uh, in, our, in our life, if we want to establish some healthy attitudes based on truth, we need to start by asking the question, this person in your life that you can imagine before you, what does God say about this person? It really, what we're talking about here is the culture of honour, isn't it? What does God say about this person? And then we posture ourselves accordingly. Me and Becky were driving to, to church uh, this morning, and we were talking about a situation that popped up, and immediately I found myself, you know, uh, posturing myself in an attitude uh, based on the emotions of that situation. And I had to stop and say, hang on, what does God say about these people? He loves them. You know, he is so for them. There's good things happening in, in his life. And then I was able to see that whole situation in a different light on the basis of what God said about that person. So is there someone in your life, you know, or maybe I should say who is the person in your life, uh, where you feel that maybe the attitude needs a bit of working. Maybe it's time to hit reset and ask that first question. What does God say about that person? Who does he say they are? Now, if you struggle to do that sometimes, I would encourage you to first ask the question, who does God say that you are? What does God say about you? Because he loves you so much. And I, actually, I took a photo of that last song that we sang. Hopefully I can dig this out quickly enough. But uh, and I'm just singing this song, and I'm, uh, that grace song, this beautiful song. Righteous through Jesus' blood, ransom restored and forgiven. My sins are remembered no more. Though still I stumble, you'll keep me. By grace I'll continue on in unending love. That's what God says about me. Wow, by God's grace, I'm just met with love. I'm righteous, I'm holy. Hey, that's what God says about the person next door to you as well. <laughs> and so lavishing God's grace, lavishing God's love, and then give it to the next person as well. And so that, that's just a, you know, a little helpful thing I found as I was worshipping this morning. So establish healthy attitudes based on truth. The next thing here is we need to be willing 
to change the way we think. If we introduce new truths into our life, there's going to be a bit of a battle, isn't there, between some existing ways of thinking. Attitudes are what? Settled and established ways of thinking. So you introduce a new way of thinking, and there's going to be like a little tussle going on, isn't there? You know, like there's all these sort of kids' movies out these days. I don't know if you've seen the one about the emotions, and, and uh, I forget what the. Someone help me here. What's the, the, inside out, yeah, and so, and it's like this little tussle going on. You can imagine if there was like a Christian version of that, I don't know. It might be like, you know, new, uh, new truths and, and existing truths and having a little fight inside your brain. I don't know, silly thought. But, but when you introduce new truths into your life, there's going to be, a, com, uh, there's going to be a, a battle between truths that, or lies, you might say, that are already uh, there, uh, already exist. And so we, needed to be, we need to be ready and willing to give those, those lies a boot and replace them with new ways of thinking. And to do that, we need to change the way we think. To do that, we need to be willing to repent. And so uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians. It's quite long here, so we might not actually go through too much. Let's just focus on this. Last verse here from, uh, from verse 12. So, actually, there's some good stuff up here too. Uh, even if I made you grieve, start from the top, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Paul challenges the Corinthians, and it makes them feel uh, a bit grieved, but it leads them to repentance. And that's really what his aim was all along in the letter. It's interesting in that last verse there where it says, uh, I didn't write for the sake of the one who did the wrong or the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. What's he saying there? I didn't write in order to you know, prove who's in the right or prove who's in the wrong. I wrote that, I, that you might work on your attitude and your posture and that you might see how much you love me. That's what he's saying. You know? I don't know how many times you've written a love letter to someone saying, don't you know how much you love me? It's effectively what Paul's saying here. Normally it's, I love you so much, you're like the, you know, I won't go into maybe what I would write in a love letter, but, uh, but he's writing them to say, don't you know how much you love me? And that takes in them a bit of repentance, a change of thinking, uh, and that's what, he's, uh, that's what he's trying to achieve there. So yeah, it took a bit of conflict, as we'll soon see, uh, and, and it took a bit of, bit of work there, but he was, he was wanting them to change the way that they think. And that was really Paul's expertise as an apostle, as a master builder. He said, transform, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, be transformed by changing the way that you think. There's two ladies in the Philippian church, and they're arguing with each other. And he says, here's some truths about who you are and, you know, in order to sort the situation out. Change the way that you think. But like I say, we need to, we need to get rid of uh, old truths sometimes, old lies. Imagine that you uh, say you're a doorman at a, at a VIP business dinner, all right? You're, that's your job. You sit at the door, and your job is to sit there at this exclusive function, and your job is to let the right people in and make sure that the wrong people 
stay out, you know? And say you find a gatecrasher who's jumped into the party, your job is to grab him by the collar and kick him out the door. And that's, that's kind of like what repentance is, you know? You, you, see a, you see a truth in your life, you know, you see something in your life that shouldn't belong there, your job is to pick it up, show him the door, and make sure he doesn't make it back in again. And that can be a bit of a discipline, can't it? It can be something that we are conscious of. So if I find myself driving to church this morning and we, me and Becca are talking about a situation and I find myself jumping to old lies, you know, that I have the right to, you know, judge or condemn this person. I have the right to have a stink attitude towards them. I go, hang on a tick. That's not actually true. God loves this person. His grace is on their life. I'm going to kick that lie out. I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to change the way that I think. And this process is really important if we're going to have uh, uh, positive attitudes towards people. The last thing that we need to uh, be aware of is healthy confrontation while keeping a loving posture. I probably find this the most difficult thing. Easy to talk about having good you know, attitudes towards people. It's easy to say, oh, you know, God loves them, so I love them. But then what happens when life happens and there's a conflict or a tension? You know, there's, a, there's something happens and, and you have to address it. Well, Paul gives us a good model for this as well. In fact, the whole, pretty much the whole of 2 Corinthians is all about Paul confronting the Corinthians out of love. It's, it's all big, one big confrontation, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's biblical that it's going to happen now and then. A healthy attitude and posture towards people doesn't mean that we overlook sin or doesn't mean that we love them and want to see change in their life and in our life. But we just need to safeguard our attitude and posture towards the person when we go into the confrontation. Now, Paul wrote uh, what was called the letter of tears, a very painful letter to rebuke them and to correct them on some stuff. And we don't actually have that letter. It was written before 2 Corinthians. So we don't know what was in the letter, but one thing that we can be sure of is that he had a, a positive posture and attitude towards the Corinthians as he wrote the letter. He wrote it in love for them. And he wrote, he wrote this letter because he loved them and he wanted to address these situations. And that really is the challenging thing, isn't it? That when we come to confrontations, we do it with a loving posture towards people. So in my life, I need practical tools to do confrontation well. Because naturally, I'm just like, you know, my mother's Turkish side kicks in and I'm like, yeah, but you did this, and, and I jump straight in, you know. I need tools in my life to do confrontation well. And, and, and for me, the first thing that I need to do is just check what is my posture towards this person before I go into the situation. Am I doing this out of love? You know, do I, am I, do I have a, 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 am I, am I approaching it in love towards this person, or am I just trying to be right? Am I just trying to win the argument? And so I need to check that before I go into a situation. But there are some good tools out there, and I want to recommend a good uh, book and DVD series uh, called Keeping Your Love On by Danny Silk from Bethel Church, and it's got some really good practical tools for doing confrontation well. And I think, you know, whether it's in your small groups, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's in your marriage, I can really recommend this book, and I'm using it and trying to apply some of the stuff in it, whether it be from relationships in church all the way through to relationships on a building site. Some of this relational stuff is good stuff. So, yeah, I can recommend it. 
And uh, like I say, if you're running a small group or you're in a small group, it's the kind of thing you can do, 20 minute video each week, chat about some of the stuff, and then try it, and then talk about how you went on uh, the next week. So keeping your love on. What he means by keeping your love on is keeping a, a good, healthy attitude and posture towards the person. He says you don't have the right to switch your love off. Right? Your job is to keep your love on, keep a healthy posture towards people, and then that being the case, how do we do confrontation well uh, in that situation? How do we lovingly confront somebody? And so I just want to share two little tools as a bit of a teaser for this, um, the, these DVDs, and stuff that I've been working on. And yeah, sometimes it's a bit of hit and miss because I'm still learning how to do it. But that has, I think, had some good fruit in my life. Uh, and, and so I want to share those, these, a couple of uh, tools with you now. So the first thing we ask ourselves is, what's our goal going into confrontation? All right? We've got a good attitude, it's based on truth, we love this person, but something's happened, and we've got to confront them. What do we do? Well, the first thing we need to understand is what's the goal, what's the aim of this conflict? Now, the aim cannot be that I've got to prove, you know, I've got to convince you that I'm right, and I've got to get you to agree with me. That can't be the outcome, because we're going to have such different opinions, and that's probably why we were conflicting in the first place. The goal of my conflict has to be not that we agree with one another, but that we understand one another. That we understand one another. So I've got to take the time. I don't have a conflict with Tim, but he's sitting right here. I've got to take the time to listen to Tim, to understand what his needs are, what his grievances are, you know, what, you know, what, how I hurt him. And, and those sorts of I've got to understand. And then Tim's responsibility is to do the same, so that we, agree, we, we don't agree with one another, but we appreciate, we love one another. And even if we go away from that conflict, not dealing with the situation, we are showing love towards one another. And actually, when we, when we do that, we can find some good ways forward. That's going to be the, um, that's going to be the goal. I don't know how many times you've, you've, you know, you've, you've gone into a conflict and you've said, oh, this happened, such and such. And the person might say, yeah, but that's not how I see it, you know? Maybe we can lovingly remind them and remind ourselves, hey, my goal here is not actually that you would agree with me. Can we just take the time to understand where each other are coming from uh, and, you know, and so we can show love towards one another? So that's, that's straight from the book. It's good stuff, right? Understanding each other is, is more important than agreeing with one another. And then, and then the next thing that he... Um, and last little tool that's in this book that I think is really great is, is um, when this is, you know, when this is the goal, you know, to understand one another, just a helpful way to communicate that language to one another. So you might, I might say, I might not go to Tim and say, uh, Tim, you did this, you did this, oh, blah, 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 you did this, you know, and you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. Uh, do you understand where I'm coming from? You know? <laughs> I would go to Tim and say, Tim, I felt really unloved when you told me that my feet stink. <laughs> and this is such an important relationship and friendship to me, I really need to feel loved in this relationship. So you tell them how you feel, for, how you felt from that situation that happened. I felt hurt. I felt unloved. I felt betrayed. You know, I felt uh, whatever else it is when this situation happened. Not you did this to me. It's a healthy way to do confrontation. And I'm finding it a really helpful tool, actually. I felt such and such when this happened, and I need to feel like this. 
I need to feel loved, you know? I need to feel that you appreciate my feet, you know? <laughs> and then you leave it with them as a responsible human being, and if they value the relationship, they'll, oh, Matt, you know, you might buy me some foot wash for my birthday, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's true, but I have a need to not be, you know, putrefied by your feet, so here's, here's something. So... That's how I felt dot 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 when this happened and I need to feel dot dot dot. And if you try that, it really does work. And I've been trying it at work, I've been trying it in different situations. Me and Becca have been trying it as well. And uh, I think it's a good tool. So there are some good ways. And throughout that whole confrontation, my attitude and posture towards that person has been love uh, and, and it's been positive. So it, it can be done. <laughs> so yeah, I would recommend that book there. So there's, there's three quick ways that we've got to wrap up quickly. Uh, but establish healthy attitudes based on truth, not emotions. What does God say about that person? And if you're struggling to know what God knows about that person, maybe it's time for you to go to the throne room and realise what God says about you and then ask him, okay, well, what does he say about this person? Secondly, we need to be willing and ready to change the way that we think. Boot out old lies. It's a bit of a discipline sometimes. Uh, but, but that is, uh, we need to be willing to repent of, of, different, of other ways of thinking. And then we need to be uh, equipped with good tools to do confrontation well. And there are good things out there. So this is, our, this is how we can foster healthy attitudes. And I don't think this is a small thing that we're talking about here, because like I said earlier, it really can encourage or hinder what God is doing amongst us. It can act like a red light that we erect in, on our motorway that slows down what God is doing amongst us. And I don't want that to be the case. As I was reading, I'll just finish with a quick story, two minutes. As I was reading, uh, studying this chapter, I was also reading the Old Testament. And you know, there's a story in Numbers where the Israelites are right on the cusp of entering into the Promised Land. God's freed them, and, and they're, they're right there. They're right about to step into everything that God has for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, God's blessing and God's purposes. But there's, they go through a season of just pretty much having stink attitudes. <laughs> That's kind of what it boils down to. Moses has bad attitudes towards the people. The people have bad attitudes towards everybody. You know, the leaders have bad attitudes. Everyone's, and it, and it, they, this big red light goes up, and it says 40 years, you know. 40 years. But in this moment, Moses sends some spies into the promised land. And they all come back and expectingly the most of them have a poor attitude. You know, oh, I'm not sure if God can bring us through that. But there's one man, or two men actually, but one man that God mentions who had a different attitude. And this is what he says about him. His name's Caleb. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has a different attitude. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. I want to suggest to you that the weight and significance of our attitude can determine whether or not we will enter into everything that God has for us. That is the significance of it. It's not just that we would do Christianity well, it's that we would, you know, fly on the motorway unhindered in all of God's purposes and promises for us. And it can be linked into something as simple as our attitudes towards other people. 
Can we stand and I'll pray for us? Uh, just to finish up. Jesus, I thank you. You've got great promises and plans for us, both as individuals and as a church. You've got plans for us to impact the city, Lord. You've got plans for us to reach the lost. You've got plans for us to impact you know, whole communities, Lord. You've got plans for us to impact nations. You've got plans for us to, you know, to shape the city, Lord. You've got plans for us to sit amongst kings, Lord. You've got all these plans right there for us, Lord. You've got plans for us for all eternity things that we can't even fathom or dream about, where we will live with you forever in glorious new creation. You have brilliant and wonderful and beautiful plans for us, Lord, that much we are so sure about. And now we ask you, Holy Spirit, would you help us to deal with anything that would hinder us from inheriting everything that you have in store for us, Lord? We don't want to put up things in our life that would stop that. Lord, and I would confess before you, first and foremost, that, yeah, at times my attitudes have just been rubbish, Lord. But I want to reposture my thinking, Lord. I want to change my thinking, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name to realign, our, our, you know, how, we, how I think about people. Help me to honour people as you honour people. Help me to love people as you love people. And, Lord, in that, would you just bring about such a fresh sense of what you are doing? Catch me up in what you're doing, Lord. Catch this church up in what you are doing. Help the world to look in the doors and say, wow, there's something amazing happening in there, even by the way that they treat each other, even by the way they approach each other, even by the way they do conflict. Wow, what a beautiful thing. Lord God, we just we need you in this, don't we, Lord? We just so need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to, to come and transform our hearts. We need you to give us these tools. We need you just to do an amazing work in our life. So we ask, I ask you in Jesus' name. I ask you in Jesus' name. Lord, would you help us with this? Lord, would you help us that the world would know that we are your disciples because we love one another. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Take us on in things of you, Lord Jesus. Take us on. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, just as we're standing here, I just encourage you just to, just to close your eyes and be before God and just ask Him, what's one thing that I can do you know, from this? What's one, where's, what's one relationship that I can work on? What's one attitude that I can improve on? Lord, help me to align my thinking with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think one of the most important things is just starting with an awareness. You know, don't allow grace in your life to flow enough that you can show grace to yourself. <laughs> you know, just lighten up. I just feel God said, just lighten up a little bit. <laughs> just lighten up and allow grace to flow in your life. Allow yourself to show yourself grace in this. It's just being aware of it. Don't go out with heavy shoulders on this. 
because I have already made you holy and spotless and blameless. We're talking about moving more into my purposes, says the Lord. We're talking about getting hold of things. So don't walk out the door and think, oh, it feels so rubbish. I feel probably like the least qualified person to speak on this, but I feel strong in grace. I feel strong in grace that God equips me and enables me to preach on something like this because it is all about grace. It's about treating others, people with grace and our attitudes towards them so that by grace we continue on. Even though in stumble we fall, how's the song go, you know? Even though we stumble and fall, by grace we continue on. It's about showing grace to other people so that's true of them. It's also about showing grace to yourself and being, just being aware of it. So when these lies pop into our mind and we're thinking about someone, we say, actually, that's not what I believe. I choose to think differently about that person. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.